0: Hi, I'm Andrew. And
1: I'm Angela.
0: And this is The The Musician's Toolbox.
1: box where we bring you a new musician every week to interview them and hopefully give you the tools that you need to succeed in the music industry.
0: Yeah, we're glad you're here. This week we've got a very special episode. I mean, but every week's gonna be special, so. It
1: is, but I do have to say that, like, my heart was warmed. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a lot in common with yeah. our interviewee, Kimberly. Yeah, she, she was great. spoke to my heart.
0: Yeah, so, uh, Kimberly is great friend of mine i mean i i just met her but i feel like we're friends she has um that, that but way. she studied at brigham young university um she actually got an uh, english degree but she studied So she's music.
1: yeah. a musician that is like well-rounded
0: yeah she's very well-rounded
1: it's a good thing to be
0: um yeah and also she cured meniere's disease with music
1: yeah, which if you haven't heard of it, you're going to hear about it. Yeah, but it's
0: a super cool story. It was
1: also very heartwarming and yeah. super motivating because mm-hmm. most of us don't have to overcome something like that <laughs> yeah. to yeah. create beautiful music.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then later on in life, after she took a hiatus from music, uh, she flew to New York like once a month, twice twice a month, something mm-hmm. like that. We'll talk about that um, and studied with a teacher at the Mannes School of Music. Who um, teaches at the Madison yeah, Music? Yeah, yes, yeah. And um, I, I met her. She did a concert here at Twin Falls, and she did. She's a fantastic violinist. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Absolutely. It, it starts off um, at the beginning of her describing flying to New York. So mm-hmm. we'll start off with that. We All right. We hope you enjoy.
1: <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. We are not starting yet because we just wanted to let you know that this is our first episode and we learned a lot a doing und- it. Yes. <laughs> so our audio has room to grow, which we're totally aware of. Yes. And we did much better on the next two intervals interviews you'll be hearing.
0: Yes. So please forgive us. Yes. And please keep listening.
1: Yes. Yeah. But Kimberly's interview was so awesome yes. we couldn't it was. we couldn't just be like, uh we really wanted you to hear it. Yeah. So
0: Okay, now on to the interview.
2: Now on okay. to. The interview. I studied with a teacher who taught okay. in Spanish, so okay. uh, Nina Buhina, and I did. I, I actually you know flew to New York once a month for about three years doing that. So. Okay. Wow.
1: And you flew from where?
2: <laughs> Seattle. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And when you would fly, was it like a weekend of just like crazy lessons, or you just take um, one lesson,
2: or you know, it, it would depend. Sometimes I would have two. But usually it was like, um, I would, I mean, because I'm I'm a mother and I didn't want to be gone from my kids for too long. So literally what I would do a lot was to fly overnight and get there. I would get into, I'd arrive in Manhattan at around like seven, eight o'clock. And then I'd, you know, hang out until my lesson at 10. Then I'd have a lesson from 10 until one or so. And then I would immediately go straight back to the airport and fly home. <laughs> wow.
0: wow. <That's laughs> so crazy. so that was once a month?
2: Yeah, about once a month.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So now let's take a little bit like backtrack. And can you just kind of tell us, you've kind of started on some of these details of what your story is, but maybe because you said you studied at Brigham Young University, or maybe he said that, I'm not sure. Um, but can you mm-hmm. kind of like give us a picture of, how you got to where you are today with music and what you do with it.
2: Oh gosh. Um, that's <laughs> such a story. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> I'll try to give you, I'll try to give you the small, dense version. Perfect. Um, I studied with actually Julian Slaughter in Twin Falls. So. No way. And yes, I did. Oh my gosh. And, um, wow. and I, so I, I like Twin Falls. It's a great place. And um, I did get a scholarship to study music at Brigham Young University, which was actually kind of the shock of my life, to be honest. Um, But I found out that Nell actually I didn't know how eminent she was, really. Mm. I just knew she was a cute little French lady who took my Mm. face in her hands and said, you have a gift from God and I'll do everything I can. To make sure that you develop it and I just thought she was being and she is she was was one of the kindest people I just thought she was being nice but it turned out that she gave me a scholarship and um and the truth is I just really wanted to learn the lark ascending so Uh, that was really my one and only reason for majoring in violin performance I have to
1: tell you you're not the first violinist I've met that way by the way um I think that's like one of the pieces that every violinist wants to learn
2: That's so really cool. it is it's just a, such a wonderful piece um so anyway I went with that intention and the funny thing is I never learned it while I was there um, <laughs> but I you know I found myself very ill-prepared um Before I didn't up, yeah okay For music in general for conservatory life it's just what in my mind it was never it was just a hobby the thing I was you know, enjoying, but never something that I thought of as a career and, um, you know, I hadn't been prepared. I didn't have, I didn't go to any festivals. I hadn't, you know, done all of that preparatory work that almost everybody that I can think of who has a career in music will do to be ready for that experience at college. And I, I really think that probably what happened is I just, I couldn't keep up. And, um, And there was an imposter syndrome thing kind of that I really faced and felt. And the last moment that I remember in college really was playing the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. Um, And in master class, and I knew that piece. I really knew it, the first movement. And I got up, and I don't know, I think this thing in the back of my brain just said, you're not a violinist, you're not one of them. And I blanked out, and I couldn't remember a note. And I just ran out crying, and after that, I think it was just, you know, I know, dramatic, dramatic end. <laughs> but it wasn't the end. So um, that
1: was- really was, that in, was that in your first year at BYU? Second year. Second year, okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, and um, so I, I really, you know, kind of let it go. And I got married, and, um, and I graduated in English. And I kind of put that violin aside. And I had children, and of course I loved the violin. I loved it a lot, but there just wasn't, you know, the time to pursue it, um, I thought. So, I don't know, maybe about 10 years later, I started having symptoms. I would fall over when I was running, just with profound vertigo. And, um, And a shower sound in my ear, and I went completely deaf, except that shower sound lot of pressure and that would happen and it would be like 10 minutes and then it was 30 minutes and then i was falling over about 20 times a day and then i could just crawl around the house finally we got a diagnosis um it, it's called meniere's disease it means that your ears are dying and there's no cure for it but um everybody has kind of a different experience some people lose their hearing right away other people it'll be you know a really long drawn out process and it'll happen you know Towards the end of their life, um, I remember when I got that diagnosis. It really brings you to your knees, um, especially since the two things that I do that are, you know, really that I thought of as being, being really who I am was um, music and running, and neither one of them could I do. <laughs> and on top of that, I had three children to raise, and I thought, well. Some people end up on social security from this. And I was worried about how bad it might get. And it just seemed like it was getting worse um, over time. And, but then there were very powerful thoughts I had. And number one thought that I had that was powerful was that, you know, none of us are really even promised tomorrow. So you can sit around and really be worried about how bad it's going to get, but that doesn't help you at all with living your life every day so rather than thinking to myself how bad is it going to get or what do I need to prepare myself for I started just thinking well let's see I had 10 attacks today I got dinner made everybody lived it was fine you know and that was really powerful and then the second thing that kind of I thought of at that time um was you know like I I need to enjoy what I have while I have it And so that really was the emphasis for getting back into playing the violin, as I thought. Well, if I know I'm going to lose this eventually, I just want to enjoy what I have for as long as I can. And I really thought that actually that was a really wonderful freeing thing that I wish every musician could experience. Because when you understand the importance of your ears, and what a blessing it is to have them and how great it is that we get to be a part of music, then a lot of other things start to make a whole lot more sense. Um, I think we get really off track in music having all these other goals, but really the joy of music is to hear it, to be able to be involved in it. And um, so I think that that experience gave me this beautiful gift of being able to every day remember what it was like when i wasn't sure if i would be able to play anymore and um not too long after that i i did uh get lessons again but um i think i'm just trying to remember the timeline but i did um sign up for my first professional recital series which i don't know was somewhere between hubris and absolute insanity to do it because <laughs> I do remember walking on that stage and honestly the thought in my mind was I just thought I don't care what even happens out here I just want to know that for one night of my life I played everything that I wanted to play that I shared everything that I wanted to share and so I did that and I'm really so grateful for that opportunity and I thought honestly to me it was such a of a blessing and it was that like little ray of light in my dark cloud of having to deal with this very difficult and private nightmare um that I was dealing with the funny thing is uh the more I worked back into my practicing and once I was up to four hours a day my symptoms started to diminish now they didn't diminish overnight I still remember one time I did a an audition for a solo with an orchestra actually playing the lark Ascending. And, <laughs> and I went deaf in the middle of that audition. And I wow. had, at that point, I'd really learned how to kind of stay standing and let the fear take over. So I didn't fall over, which was really great, but I was completely deaf in the fear and um, and a lot of pressure and a shower sound in the middle of my performance. So by that time, I had worked so hard at learning how to manage that um i don't think they really must have known because i was shocked to discover that they chose me for that and i was able to solo um playing the largest Sending without working for so us that was another really wonderful opportunity um and you know i just kind of kept you know going and since then i mean i started doing quite a few recitals and i have just really enjoyed that and um and played with the orchestra again, playing the and Violin Concerto, mm. which was, you know, kind of full circle there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I guess um, I look at it like this. I feel like there's a lot of us who are meant to do a lot more than we're doing. Mm. And I want to make my life about reminding you <laughs> about who is inside. And about serving that spirit. Mm. Because um, I think that was the gift that I was given. And the interesting thing is. uh, I think about seven years in, to my practicing. I went into full remission. And I am still in full remission all these years later. The only time I ever have trouble with manure, I've had two relapses, and they've both been when I was on a prolonged period of not playing.
0: Mm.
2: So there's no medical reason for that I don't know it's just anecdotal but the truth is that for me I find that music is healing. and wow. it has been my life. that's
0: amazing <laughs> wow
1: that's really powerful <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh-huh. so I have a couple questions from what yeah. you just shared with us um one of them is you said you did your first professional um solo performance series right, right? did I did I get that right, right? So if someone wanted to go do that, how how did you even do that? How did you, who did you Um, have to contact? What did you have to do to be able to do that? I
2: think that often, I think that oftentimes, especially if you're a member of MCNA or um, other sorts of organizations like that, community organizations, that's usually where they filter a lot of these competitions or Hmm. recital opportunities, that sort of thing. Um, And I mean, if you're like me and you, you have piano friends or you have other friends and they might email you and say, Hey, what, look at this opportunity. Um, Usually these, these things are very grassroots. They're in your community and there's plenty of opportunities. Honestly, you just kind of have to get to know people and start finding out where they are. But when you get a recital series, you know, you really have to be on your toes. And I honestly think that first recital series I got because I have an English major and I'm a good writer. And I think that musicians oftentimes forget to develop a lot of other skills that they have. Now, if you don't have a manager, if you have a manager, then that person is taking care of this for you. But most of us don't have managers. And if if you're an entrepreneur, um, all entrepreneurs have to wear a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. Either you wear the hat or you hire it out. One of the two. And I think that if you're going to, you know, come out uh, with your very best foot forward, you need to be prepared to make a very beautiful application. And these are the things you must have for, if you want to be a professional, you must have a headshot. Um, A photograph, a good photograph is important. You must have one. You must also have a bio. And you, you have to have one. Whether you write it or you have someone else write it, you need a good bio number two you need to know how to write a program and how to program and you need to know how to have that program written up in a proper way so that it's you know presentable to a recital story and they want to know those things you don't always have to have program notes right away oftentimes that comes later in the process but eventually you usually have to write a program notes as well and that's just you know usually how most recitals run Mm-hmm. so
1: you're telling me when I was taking like my music history class and all that, that I'm actually going to use that if I want to perform solo
2: in a way yeah you will yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I
1: they don't get to leave that, that to the musicologists in the room no they
2: they know what they're doing in the in the music department they know what you guys are up against and they prepare you for it but yes, I just don't I mean, know
1: that someone ever told me that right like no one told
0: me I, yeah. I have
1: three degrees in music and I don't know that it was ever clear to me that oh you should go write program notes to you I had I had colleagues that did it but it was never said to me in a way of like this is something you will use when you perform a solo recital for example
2: yeah yeah and I mean I, I don't know why they don't because it's true if you if you go out to present yourself in a professional way I'm just gonna repeat it you need to have and it's even, better, it's even good to have a press release, but you definitely need a headshot, you need a bio, like bare minimum. And then on top of that, you really need a program, and that's extremely good if you can have a program that's written out in a beautiful way, you know, the way that you would want a program. And then if you write a press release, that's good, and then if you have, um, obviously, later on, you will be writing program
1: Okay, so I'm asking silly questions here, but what is a press release? What if I don't know what that is? Did you have that question? Yeah, I was gonna ask that. (laughs) Tell our listeners who are like a freshman in college, what a press release is.
2: Okay, a press release basically is something that you would send to different press outlets. In this case, we're moving into a more, um, you know, uh, virtual world, right? And so we would do things a little differently. This would mainly come in the form of an email, but snail mail can also be very effective. Basically, what you want to do is tell your story in a very concise way. So-and-so is giving a concert on such-and-such date, um, presenting the works of such-and-so, because blah. And you want it to, um, if you're writing a good one, you want it to catch somebody's attention because you don't want to waste their time. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, this last concert that- um, <laughs> Andrew, you came to. Yes. Pretty, that, was, <laughs> what?
0: that concert was like when you talked about programming, I mean, it just made so much sense after the concert. It was just a, such a good concert. I just really liked it. Thank so I, I'm still fangirling <laughs> over it. <laughs> you should come back.
2: When I, when I did that concert, the whole premise behind it was this, you know, three years that I spent going to New York to study with a Soviet master. And I thought, how uncanny is it that this girl from the middle of rural Idaho ends up with the Soviet tradition, really, that came straight from David Oystra, because that was her, you know, she was his student, and one of his better students, actually. And so in my mind, I just thought, This is such an uncanny thing. And so I did a concert that was um, half-Russian and Mm half-American to kind of illustrate in a musical way how we needed one another. Even though I grew up in a cold work environment in which we were taught to fear one another, the funny thing is, is that we needed each other more than ever. I needed her and she needed me. And oftentimes, anyway, it was kind of my musical way of saying, Look at how these walls don't work. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And and anyway, um, but those were some of my thoughts about programming. Now you see, when I when I write a press release about that, that's interesting to report. They're like, what is this? Woman who flies to New York once (laughs) a month. And they want to write about that.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, if you just give them bland milk toast, they've seen it. Yeah, they did yeah. it. Why do they want to write about it? Uh-huh. Why write a press release at all? Yeah. So um, a press release is really, an, with the idea in mind of trying to get as much attention for the concert as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. You want to make you want to make uh, it easy on your um, recital, you know, on, on the promoters and people to promote you. You mm-hmm. want to be able to help them get as many people in those chairs as possible. And uh, at least I do. But I, I take it upon myself to recognize that it's partly my responsibility to make sure there's people in those seats. And so, you know, that'd be interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so, sorry to get into the details, but when mm-hmm. you do a press release, you're sending this to Magic Valley Times News, you're sending this to what, College of Southern. Like, where are you sending this to?
2: Like, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm doing it, I didn't have to do it in Twin Falls as an example because your aunt
0: honestly yes.
2: takes care of a lot of that, and she's already built her her base uh-huh. of people. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, you would you would you would just have this available in case you ever had an opportunity to talk with a TV station okay. or a or a newspaper reporter or uh-huh. a. And really the idea of that is that anytime you front page news, there's going to be more people at your concert. Mm -hmm. Anytime you get any airtime whatsoever. And that's really, you know, if you want to have a career in performing, that has to be important to you or it has to be important to your agent because that's what we do. We're we're trying to get customers in the door. Mm So, I mean, that's business.
1: Yeah. So just to, just to recap, like, As a musician, I think lots of us have done auditions before and like we know, okay, when I'm auditioning for colleges, like I have to play scales and I have to play these etudes and I have to play repertoire or depending on what the requirements are, but it's very well spelled out. So for spelling something like that out for a musician that wants to be a performer after they're out of that, I'd say that like a normal portfolio aside from the music that you have to learn would be a professional headshot, a a bio that is well-written, mm-hmm. a program that is, you know, researched has program notes at some point. You may not necessarily need that to get the gig, but once you get the gig, you will need it, right? Yep. And then um, a press release. Is that, would that be a complete portfolio or is there something else I'm missing? That's a
2: pretty good start. That's a good base, but you know, I would also add website mm-hmm. Okay. okay. If you really want to start driving traffic, you've got to have a website.
1: And, and, um, and business cards, I guess. Business cards,
2: right? Well, yeah, business cards are good too. I mean, especially if you're flying a lot, like I am, and I meet people on airplanes all the time. Mm-hmm. I do, and um, I, and sometimes those turn into gigs. You just, you never really kind of mm-hmm. know about that. And so, yeah, business cards are good for that. Um, I, I don't know. There's quite a few other things, but really, I would, I would definitely get a website at the very bare minimum of being, of your online involvement there's a lot of other things you can do to get your name out there um you know unfortunately in the classical elite circles what this is called or referred to is self-promotion mm-hmm. and sometimes that is um looked at in a derogatory light
1: that was and actually I, what my next question was going to be uh-huh. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> in, in the elite classical music circles, this is viewed somewhat in a derogatory light um, and the reason being, um, people who get agents and end up, you know, in, in the high circle, they paid a really high price for that. Mm-hmm. Like monetary,
1: a monetary high price.
2: Not right? just monetary, but also like 18 hours a day of their life. I, I know people who, mm-hmm. I mean, eight hours, nine hours a day, and you don't think about other things in your life. You don't, that is your life. Mm. And you can imagine that, um the level is so high, and they play so incredibly well as a result. And it's hard then to see somebody else who's winning the promotion game against somebody who spent so much time working at the craft. Okay, so I think if I were just to take a kind of a, you know, diplomatic look at it, I can understand the point of view, because it's not equal. But I hate to say it, the truth is that all of those people have plenty of people promoting them. Mm -hmm. They have a whole team of people who are, you know, checking out what they're wearing and checking out how they, you know, how they appear online and they have people behind them. Not, not always a ton, but um, the truth is, I don't know what's such a crime about just wanting to play.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I feel like um everybody should. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. just because you want to play doesn't mean that you're going to be in concert about tomorrow. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. what's the problem with playing a community recital here and there? And mm-hmm. I feel like if you graduated in it, if you have worked hard on it, it's that's what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, Josh can't make it to every bar mitzvah. He can't make it to every you know concert. <laughs> he can yeah. Um, and he has to be cheesy and that's okay he plays, but the thing is is that he plays in Carnegie Hall he plays in, you know I don't know, Morrison Center and he's playing for people but guess what, if you play in a church, you're playing for people <laughs> if you play if you yeah. play in a bar, you're playing for people <laughs> Yeah. like I, I hate to put it, are you going to say well okay, these people in Carnegie Hall are so much more important people whoa, all people are important people. And once we get our minds around that, I think as a classical entity, we're going to start winning. Instead of feeling like we are always having to fight for our school programs and fight for our place in news media and fight for our concerts and people coming. Um, Once we start recognizing that we all could invite people into our world, then it gets easier for everybody. Mm-hmm. So my, like, I'm preaching right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
2: okay. I love it. Yes. I love it. I love so it too. Most me is that, um, I don't like to privilege certain few to perform. Mm-hmm. And I would like more people to perform. Because no matter what happens out on that stage, if you're giving sincerely with love in your heart, then you are promoting classical music. I mean, it's very true that there may be somebody in your audience who has never heard the violin before. I've had that happen a lot. where people will come up to me after I perform and say, I have never heard the violin played like that. I had no idea. It was even possible. They just have the magic. And we forget, because we're so used to the magic, that, you know, we think that, you know, oh, I missed the shift, Right? I, did this little thing, and uh, we forget about it. We keep, we're magicians who keep playing for the magicians. Uh-huh. And um, we think we have to impress the magicians with our magic tricks, but it's not true. You, you need to be impressing the people who still think it's magic, and give them the magic.
0: Yeah. You know? I feel like the local people that haven't heard the magic are the people that appreciate it more than the people at Carnegie Hall and the critics and whatever. You-
2: well, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm not a cr- critic or anything. I, I don't know what their enjoyment level is, but uh, it is very true that when you get through a critical review of some some amazing artist, my my typical thought is, why don't you get up there and do it then? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think something that kind of hits home to me about that is Um, So I have a one-year-old, which I'm sure you can appreciate being a mother, but the thing, one of the things that's so exciting Mm -hmm. about being a parent is that you get to see them experience everything for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's similar. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that it's a better praise or a higher praise, Mm -hmm. but seeing someone enjoy the violin for the first time or hear it for the first time is very different from hearing someone who has heard, you know, Joshua Bell and Gil Shaham and Eszak, Krumlin all play the same concerto. It's a, it's a different kind of comparison, and there's it, what I'm hearing from you is that there's equal joy in in being the person that, that's that's bringing that to people, even if they don't know, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I don't think there should be this um, worry about sharing music. Yeah, and I don't know why there is, but there's this <laughs> <an> incredible <laughs> concern. Yeah, about the appropriateness of your music sharing
0: mm.
2: and um i think that's detrimental to the art because the truth is the customer in our art form are the amateurs so why aren't we building the amateurs yeah. mm-hmm. the more we build that amateur base the more we get them out there and performing the more audience we're going to have because guess what those amateurs are the ones who have friends in soccer and they have friends at the store. And they have friends, you know, in, in other spheres, at school, and at church. And who's going to come to their concerts? The church people and the, and the soccer moms who've never heard the violin before. And those are the people we want in the feet. Because that's broadening our sphere. How are we going to get more people in the feet? You have to go to the people. They have to say to themselves when they get done with your listening to your concert. Oh dang, I didn't even know the violin was the thing. I really love that. You want to give them an experience and say, I want to go to a violin concert. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So that when somebody else comes and they're like, oh do you remember when so and so played it was so gorgeous. I definitely want to drive up to Boise and go see Ray Chen play.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, or or Kimberly Dre.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so i um i have a question that's kind of backtracking just a little bit but i'm curious to know how you became connected with your teacher at manis and how that worked um so i i it, i actually re- really really admire that you um you went and studied with her and didn't necessarily need or want or could have a a, a degree attached to it but it meant so much to to study with her that you, you made that sacrifice to do that. Um, I realized after doing one of my degrees, I probably would have gained the same amount with my instrument without a lot of bureaucratic red tape. Um, And, and I could have benefited just as much. And so um, how, how did you become connected with your teacher? And like, how, how can you see that as something that, you know, that you could help other people with?
2: Well, um, okay. I have a fundamental belief. When the food is ready, the teacher shall appear. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely live and die on that. Um, I think that you must put in the work. It's not like I just, you know, walked into this without finding five hours a day to practice every day Mm -hmm. for a long time. With three children, four, actually, it ended up being four and (laughs) sorry so you know um there's if you want to talk that's a completely other segment we could do about how anybody fits this in with family it it wasn't easy (laughs) yeah
1: so so how old was your how how old is your family now? How old are your children? You're a mother of oh, four.
2: Now you're gonna now you're gonna age me. At this
0: <laughs> oh, I'm
1: so sorry. <laughs> that wasn't my intention.
2: I'll tell you, my youngest is now 15. Okay. So All right, they're older. But when when I first started this violent journey, my youngest was not even born yet. Okay. okay. So wow, so she's been I've really raised her through it, and um. And the others, you know, they had some good times when they were young, but as soon as I knew about this, I forced them to study cello and violin. And we, then we were a music house after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I will say one thing about finding time to fit it in. Uh Aaron Roseanne, I was able to study with him a few lessons at well, I was at, at Summit um at the Aaron Roseanne's um, in, Intensive Summer Music anyway, that's I think that's what he called it. Any case, in any case, Erdogan told me, he said, there's always time to practice. <laughs> he did. He said, there's always time to practice. And so in the back of my mind, I always hear that. Like, when you go play to these people, they don't care that you have four children at home or that right before you flew out, you, spent, you, know, you stayed up all night making freezer meals. They don't care. Hmm. That does not matter. They care about whether your connections are smooth or whether you were able to get, you know, hit your notes in They care about that. And um, so there's no real excuse. And in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking of Aaron Rodman saying, there's always time to practice.
0: So I, and and I find it
2: personally where I found it when I, when the kids were young, literally I had this one-year-old and I would practice for 20 minutes or 10 minutes, and then I'd go to take care of her, you know, and I'd put her right next to me or wherever, and I'd make sure she was in a safe place wherever it was. And I'd, you know, usually she would be in the room with me, it was the door shut. And, and I'd get her involved with some little activity and I'd go for 20 minutes, and then I would go to play with her, and then I'd go for 20 minutes. And it was like that all day long. And so my husband would get home and I'd usually get an hour at night or sometimes I would wake up at five in the morning and get an hour at night. Mm-hmm. So you have to love it. So if yeah. you wanted to study with these teachers, you have to love it. The teacher, you know, when student is ready, the teacher shall appear. So, um, but I was also very fortunate to um, take, Advantage of a couple of opportunities when they present themselves. And um, I find that there are opportunities a lot. And I'm not going to mention any names, but there are certain opportunities that I've thrown people ways. And it's interesting to see the ones who jump at it and the ones who don't. Mm-hmm. Or the ones who say that they're going to, and then they find all sorts of excuses not to do it. But if you're going to jump into an opportunity, you have to like want it. You have to throw yourself into it I, I um, because those opportunities come once. I still remember uh, standing in Nina Blina's, uh apartment, and she said, I finished playing the Bach um, first sonata for her, and she said, so is this just a one-time thing? You're going to come, and then you play for me, and it's all good, and you go home, and she said that. And I read between the lines and I went absolutely insane. Completely insane. And I just said, I can come once a month. I still <laughs> remember that coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, how am I going to do that? And, <laughs> and just thinking, well, I'm going to make it happen now. Yeah. And I think that if you talk to majority of performers they would have a story like that for you about how they got their opportunities. And the truth is for every you know one of those, there's probably five or six others that had the same opportunity who didn't make something of it. Now, I'm not going to guilt anybody. Not every opportunity is the one that you should take. And quite frankly, um, there's nothing I can do to manufacture a DMA. I don't have one and i can't have one any other way but to go to school and those are very valuable a dma is very valuable and uh, a dma or a master's degree is going to ensure certain economic privileges for you and if you're looking for a career you need this i mean you don't have to have my goodness why wouldn't you avail yourself of the opportunity to have have a piece of paper that opened a lot of doors for you, and uh, and I think it's very valuable from from that aspect. And there's nothing I can do other than going back to school to manufacture that for myself. But I also understood that just because I was in a situation at the time that did not allow for that, that I wasn't going to shut down my violent dreams or my own personal violence path. Mm-hmm. And I think. You know, you just, I just want people to grow. Just keep growing. There are plenty of prodigies who get to a place in their career and they either get burned out or bored of the music or whatever it is, and they stop. They just hit a wall. But um, I, I find the same thing happening to me. And the only way that I'm gonna get myself out of hitting that wall is to find the interest, to find the magic again and remember why I do this and what I love about it. um, Usually for me, that's musical. Like right now I'm working on a Chafon poem and it is a beat, it is an absolute beast of a Uh piece. It is right at my alley. It's exactly the kind of music that I play and that just sets me on fire, it does do i think i'm gonna you know like set the world on fire with my playing no aaron Roseanne played that piece and i will never even approach him <laughs> <laughs> no, listen to it you'll know but but i don't think it's just because aaron revan played it so incredibly well the just I wouldn't like kimberly drape's about press releases you know the best way to write a press release and have it be interesting is to be interested
0: Mm -hmm. hey i like that yeah yeah it
1: seems it seems so obvious but like i can't tell you how many times i've i've read something and i'm just like don't how do you not realize that this is not interesting (laughs) you know, like "How, how else can we frame this so that it becomes something that we want to
2: know about yeah i like that when you're writing in in college, right? The the problem is you're doing this for a grade
0: Uh,
2: and you're really not interested in being there and you have to do it and it's this drudgery thing that you have to throw yourself into just to, you know, get it done. Mm -hmm. But honestly, that's why I feel like my memories are such a favor to me because it helps me reframe and remember why I love this. And I really think that if you want to be interesting, just you have to be interested. Find something that lights you on fire that you want to talk about. I mean, I I can, I love my I love music history. It it does light me on fire. I love to read about the lives of these composers and know, for instance, that as much as I would like to promise every, you know person who graduates with their performance degree and has incredible skill as much as I would like to uh, promise them a wonderful, happy life of riches and fame afterwards. <laughs> and while yeah, and I want to say yes, it's absolutely the case that you can make a living at music. You can. I know plenty of people who do Because of Mozart, they paid some really heavy prices. And when you read about their lives, you start to appreciate that. And if that's not interesting, I don't know what to do for you.
0: Are you <laughs> <bad>? yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we could go on for hours. This has just been so much fun. But I'm curious what are you doing now? know you were doing you've been doing some things on Facebook and so what are what are your plans now what are you what are you I passionate about what are you trying to do on
2: what am I not <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> um, let's see actually my like, I would say the reason I keep showing up um the reason I keep working at this is really because I believe in music I love it so much And because I feel like I occupy a very unique space in the music world. And I want to encourage others to share music. That's it. That's really what it is. I want everybody to feel confident to share. I want there to be more sharing. And I want people to feel... If they can't share, I want them to be having a daily conversation with their instrument. I want them to be having the the benefit of having music in their life, not just from, you know, listening, but from actually playing it. You know, one of my um, good friends, actually from Children Falls, Jennifer Fall, you may know her, Paul Dunn. Jennifer Paul Dunn told me one time, you know, at the end of the day, the person recording that you should like the very most is your own. And at first I was like, We'll come again, because I'm pretty sure that you talked recording of the Dvorak Romance is my favorite. <laughs> you know. But after a while, I thought about the wisdom of what she was sharing and what she was saying is you should enjoy music making. And that's where all the value is. And I, I, I guess maybe you could say I'm the mom of music or something. Like, I am. I'm not mom who's like, don't think you're practicing
0: please
2: <laughs> say occupy only on a larger scale i just want to um remind all of you who graduated and aren't playing anymore what did you just forget that music was important did you just um suddenly decide that like what you were doing all those years to acquire that incredible skill wasn't valued anymore or wasn't important to- And, so um, was well, idea. was there ever
1: a time when you felt that way? Because you said you know you had that time where you said it just kind of wasn't the right time. Is that how you felt in that part of your life, or um,
2: uh, there were a lot of other dynamics going on? No, I definitely always loved music. I still remember it at the time. Um, I, there was one day that I got out the Prelude in Allegro, and I hadn't kind of played <laughs> in like years and years. And I actually yeah. had never played that piece, but I just wanted to learn it. And I started playing through the first few bars, and I just sobbed. Oh. I just sobbed because I loved it so much. But there were a lot of other dynamics going on in my life that were really um, making that hard to do. But I will say that it's, here's the way to get out of practice is to stop practicing. <laughs> and here's the way to get back into practicing. Start practicing.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: I mean, it, it's mind boggling that people don't realize, they think that they're going to all of a sudden have this, you know, road to gymnastics moment where they're stopped by an angel and said, <laughs> practice! You know, and that's just not awful for anybody. Nobody's going to say, No, no, what happens is you start practicing and then you feel the success and you feel kind of more motivated and then you start liking it more and then you practice some more and then you like it more and you know before you know it then you're back into practicing but it comes from action the action comes first the feeling follows i feel
1: like i feel like you're really pinpointing a lot of things that i think make a lot of musicians career musicians aspiring musicians um make them really frustrated and live a very frustrated life in music because there's the very high elite class. And it seems like, at least for me, in my experience, if we don't achieve that elite class, there's no other space for us. So we're either here or it's not. And it's really refreshing to hear you say and preach like this is not how it has to be. And there's so much more fulfillment out there.
2: Well, not only that, but they need us. That elite class. There are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Did you notice the COVID going on? <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I, I actually really, um, I know these some of these people, and they, I admire and respect to such an incredible level what they have done, and I want to support it. But I, I'm really glad to hear you say that you feel like there's a space because that's everything I want to do is to create a space for all of the others. Who are all these other musicians? There's tons of us out there. And I, and I, that's what my share music society on Facebook is all about and trying to give people resources to share their music, whether it's virtually, which we all need a little help now because a lot of concerts are happening virtually these days. Um, or whether it's giving resources for uh, you know handling nerves, or how to um, hand or how to write press releases, all of these things I want to give people. I don't need to charge for it. I just want you to do it. Mm. So that's why I spend like incredible amount of hours promoting this stuff. Is I don't for me it's not so much a self promotion effort. Um, I you know I just if you want to give a concert go rent a hall go promote it you know like you could do that but what I really want to do is promote everybody else I want to show it to them I want you I want you to feel empowered and go share your music the world needs it.
1: so if we wanted to find because you just threw out something that's on facebook so if our listeners want to find what you were talking about on facebook what is that called
2: it's share music society
1: okay on and facebook, facebook
0: mm-hmm. we'll okay. share it on our facebook page we'll
1: face it yeah we'll share it mm-hmm. on our page and then, and then if I'm they on,
2: on instagram i'm green roll. Okay. and there's a lot of stuff on there too a lot of, i i use my green account count really for motivating and inspiring and giving ideas. And I try as hard as I can. And if you follow me, I mean, I'm following like 29, I don't know, like over 2,000 people now. So it's gotten a little out of hand. I'm, I'm going to have to be careful. For, for the longest time, I really do try to follow a lot of accounts back. And and it doesn't matter. I mean, all ranges and skill levels and abilities. Because I don't really care if you're a beginner. You're intermediate, your advanced, I, I don't care. I think we're all in different levels at different times. And just because you're a beginner doesn't mean you can't share a piece that you're working on. Mm-hmm. You should do you that. Work, you
1: work just as hard as a beginner as you do when you're older, mm-hmm. right? It takes that same yeah. amount of focus and it, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So I just want to um, take the, the, maybe just use the, um, the level or the ego <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, I just think actually, like, okay, look, if you're a beginner, you're not going to be playing concert about. Okay, so I don't, I don't know why we have to be concerned that a beginner who promotes themselves really well is going to. It's, it's not going to happen. This is, you know, uh, you're, but that doesn't mean there's no place for you. And what happens is, is, in our minds, for some reason, we get the idea, if I'm not playing Carnegie Hall, then I failed, and I might as well quit. Yeah. yeah. Which is where we're dying from a classical music standpoint. Hmm. Because then what do those people do? They get bitter, and they get tired, and they go listen to the radio rather than a classical music station. And they don't want to turn on the classical music station because it sure brings up a lot of powerful, bad, bad memories. And all of a sudden, somebody who was on our side, who was going to concerts, who was putting their kids in music, who was fighting, who was like, yeah. you know, part of our team is gone. Mm-hmm. And I I just think the more of us who are sharing, the more of us who are involved, it's better for everybody. Then there's more people That's taking right. lessons. Then there's yeah. more people who are buying instruments. And there's more people who are going to concerts. And that's how we're going to revive classical music if you it's it's going to be because everybody climbs on board and starts fighting for it
0: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah thank you um
1: (laughs) is there i mean i think you have named way more than like three advices for aspiring musicians but is there anything else that you really want to drive home to people as they listen to this. I actually, you also mentioned talking about finding time and being a parent and possibly a different episode. And I'm totally into that. So maybe we'll call you back a little bit, (laughs) but um,
0: there's so many things. There's so many
1: things. I'm, I am feeling very inspired right now. So thank you. Uh, But is there anything else that, that is really pressing on your heart at this moment that you want to share? Um,
2: and I? Um, um, I think if I if I were just going to say something to you, my individual viewer, whoever is watching this,
0: yeah.
2: I want you to know that your gifts are not overlooked, that there is a place for you, that it doesn't have to be monetary compensation to be valuable in your life. Mm-hmm. And that those career things come in time anyway. So rather than working on the career for yourself, start just get interested and excited about your music again. Um, get it out of the case and or you know sit down to the key and play through a few bars of something you love in your soul. Mm -hmm. and then you know try to try to get to the point where you can share it and I'm really here and I'm not kidding about this you can ask the I don't know 40 or 50 people who literally write me on a pretty regular basis I really do try to shepherd people in a really as as much mentoring as I can I can give without going nuts myself Mm
0: um
2: trying to help people to get a like so they feel confident about sharing. And I want you to like know that it's never gonna be perfect. In fact, I think Ray Chen just put something on his Instagram that I thought was really cute. He said the best musical you know nerves advice I ever got was from my non-musical father who said, you know, you don't get into a boxing ring expecting not to get hit. You're gonna get hit, but you just accept it. It's really about how quickly you can recover. And I think that's so right and like completely on point. Um, people get out of this also because they have a hard time facing the failure. And, you know, that concert that Andrew went to, it wasn't perfect. There are a couple of things.
0: It, it <laughs> was, I didn't hear any mistakes. It was perfect from my ears. You
2: know, that is, you know, <laughs> You know, makes me feel
0: better.
2: But the truth is, that we just we don't, and you can't expect that from yourself as a human being. And you know, we we need the human part of the plane way more than we need the protection part of the plane. Mm.
0: Otherwise,
2: you could just think that robot. Mm. So don't be a robot. Be a human being and make a mistake. It's okay. You'll live through it, and you can you can text me or. Or, you know, DM me or something and I'll tell you all about all of mine. And we can have a big old sob,
0: sob, sob. <laughs> and, yeah. then,
2: and then the truth is is that you just did a really good thing. You just did a really good thing. And um, I don't know how many good things you get to do in our lives. But rather than sitting down to Netflix and just helping a whole lot more people, I'm hoping you, who I'm talking to right now, Well, stop choosing Netflix and start choosing to do something really good. You know, like how many opportunities do you have to do something really good in your life? And every time you give music, there's not a single time unless you have some selfish, mean hearted, nasty reason for doing it. There's not a time. And even then, I think the music itself kind of will overcome that. It's just such a good thing. You're not going to involve yourself in some criminal. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a good thing.
0: So. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much.
1: Thank you for thank sharing for your the story.
2: For like a half hour.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like
1: there's, it's gone by
0: so fast. There
1: is so much that has resonated yes. today. Yes. Um, definitely. I I really appreciate. We really appreciate yeah. your time. Um, thank you for being Thanks so for passionate and having this space. And showing us yes.
2: this space that think is about out what there. you could do in 10 years. Seriously, yeah. think about what you could do in 10 years. If mm-hmm. you just today decided, mm-hmm. I love this, I'm going to make it happen for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 10 years, but at the end of it, you'll have something. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: uh, just wrapping up, where can people. <laughs> where are you? Yeah.
2: I said, let's go, William. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So uh, just <laughs> wrapping up, where can people find you um, on Instagram, Facebook, and all the places online?
2: Um, I am Green Case Girl on Instagram. Okay. That's where okay. I have my case, when I was in Manhattan, okay, like, always people would spot me on the subway. I like the case, or you <laughs> know, on into party hall, yeah. nice green case, or you know, yeah. wherever it was when I was, and i was like nice green Cape. So I felt like. <laughs> At least knew me as the girl with the green face, so okay. green face girl. Yeah. And
0: um
2: and I and I'm Share Music Society is my group on Facebook. And I would okay. love to interact with more people there.
0: Okay. Fantastic. All well, right. I feel like there's so many tools that we've put in our <laughs> toolbox. <laughs> so <is> crazy. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for your time. Thanks
0: um,
2: again. We really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: for listening guys we hope you enjoyed that episode Uh, we're fairly new so we'd appreciate it if you shared it with all of your friends and you can find us on all the podcasting platforms you listen to and we're also on youtube so thanks for watching
1: is there an episode that you would like us to cover or a topic that we haven't yet if you have one feel free to contact us through our website which is the musicians toolbox podcast.com or you can email us at the Musicians, podcast, the musicians <laughs> Toolbox Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, and we also, for those of you who are watching our YouTube channel, know, but we've got some amazing merch that we're not wearing right now, but it looks really sick. So we recommend you check that out and support us. That really helps us appreciate you checking that out on our website um, and also anywhere else. Links.
1: You could probably find a picture or two of it also on our social media accounts. Oh, yeah. um, and you can also find information about the next person that we're going to be presenting to you. So yeah. we are on Instagram and
2: Facebook. Facebook,
1: and you can find us at The Musicians Toolbox.
0: Perfect. Thanks for listening. See Thank you later.
1: You. Bye.